Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Sunday and Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform, rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or share it with friends. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. This morning, I started my day with their Rome, Wyoming organic coffee blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. A few episodes back, I spoke about Frank Ostaseski's The Five Invitations, and I specifically chose the one where he explored the invitation of welcome everything and push away nothing. And since I published that episode, it has dawned on me how strange it is that we're so used to relying on that type of thinking when we're moving through difficult stages of life when we're receiving bad news or not getting something we want. We attempt to turn it on its head and immediately pivot into acceptance. That's what we know to do. That's what we're told to do. It's what we feel we should do. And sure, it's not easy, but we've done it before and we know we can do it. Yet it's almost easier to move into acceptance When we're talking about bad things versus good things, because for some of us, it's incredibly challenging to be in acceptance when we are receiving something good. Good news can be absolutely terrifying for some of us. Good fortune can make us spin out. Things that come to us with ease can bring up profound feelings of fear and activate all of our self-doubt or our feelings of unworthiness at the precise moment when someone or something is actively choosing us. And it just doesn't make any sense, except that it does. Because our fears are generally centered around three things. 
We are afraid of not being enough. We are afraid of not getting enough or not having enough. Or we're afraid that something we value will be taken from us. Maybe some of you can relate to the feeling that we will be forced to pay a high price for feeling good, for relaxing, for receiving, for anything good happening to us. Maybe you have an underlying belief that the good event will be immediately followed by something bad. Whether we think this way because this has happened to us in our past, or because maybe we secretly hold a belief that the universe is punitive, or we have an I gotcha God, you know, a shocker God that can't wait to teach us a lesson for having tempted the gods with hubris. So instead of enjoying the moment or showing up fully, we spend that time waiting for the other shoe to drop. And maybe the anxiety increases when good things happen to us because we were raised in a family where success was met with resentment, anger, shame, or punishment. And our whole goal was to be invisible to avoid punishment, retaliation, or violence, or emotional abuse. Maybe we've had repeated experiences of losing things soon after we get them. Or we felt like we became a target once we finally had something to lose. Almost as if life would be safer if we went without. Brene Brown says, you either walk inside your story and own it, where you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. And as I sat down to write this episode, I kept coming back to that quote and how challenging it can be for all of us to anchor into our worthiness in moments of triumph, abundance, connection, or even love. We could be struggling with something we've worked really hard for something we've earned, and once we get it, we still feel as if we don't deserve it. Or maybe we get something that's totally based in grace, unearned favor. We get something that is incredible, but it's something we would not have chosen for ourselves if we were flipping through a catalog. And so we push it away, or we have these strange, conflicting feelings about it. Like, I know this is a good thing, based on who I am in the world and that this is something positive, but it doesn't feel like it could possibly be for me. And so we're stuck with that feeling like someone's dropped off a package on our porch, but it's actually meant for our neighbor. So we can pick it up, we can look at it, but we probably shouldn't open it because it's really not ours. Now, what about the other things that are meant for us that have our name on it? That could be receiving a financial windfall getting a promotion at work, getting hired for your dream job, moving into your dream home, or maybe even starting a relationship with someone that you are absolutely wild about. There's this nanosecond of excitement when those things happen to us right before the roller coaster takes a dip. And all of a sudden, there we are holding on for our dear lives, just riding waves of emotions that don't really seem to correlate with what is right in front of us. 
so often in these situations, our character defects are instantly activated. Our negative self-talk, our imposter syndrome, our fears of abandonment, our trust issues, and maybe even some of our self-sabotaging behaviors. Maybe we confuse the feelings we have and begin to think that our blessings are actually a scam because we haven't been hyper-vigilant. We rusted for a second. We weren't on our game, and all of a sudden this good thing came, but it's definitely not what it appears to be. Maybe we think that we have somehow fooled everyone into hiring us or giving us a promotion or an opportunity, and we are just checking the clock, counting down the minutes until they find us out. And it will be certain disaster because it will be revealed that we are an imposter. Or maybe it's finding out that the person we like actually likes us back. They feel the same way about us. And it's what we always wanted. And in an instant, this thing we've been craving suddenly feels like the worst news ever. Because instead of showing up in the moment getting to know this person on a deeper level, connecting with them, being vulnerable with them, or embracing the opportunity, we spend our time laying out traps for them, setting them up to fail, or pushing them away or testing them, so that we can bring about an obvious conclusion to the love story. Abandonment. It's the thing we fear most, and yet we feel more comfortable trusting abandonment than we do trusting this new person and their new feelings for us. And what makes it even more challenging is that if we were watching someone else awkwardly stumble through all of these emotions and this reactivity and self-sabotaging behaviors, if we were watching someone write this story for themselves that doesn't make any sense, we would probably have no problem pointing out what was happening and giving them advice on how to course correct. But when it comes to us and our own experiences, I don't know that the answer is to force ourselves into fake bliss, joy, and acceptance. To me, that seems like just putting on another mask, a heavier mask. So maybe the solution is not about doing the exact opposite of what we feel, but instead gently coaxing ourselves into a place of neutrality, away from the labels of good or bad and our associations with them. I actually talk a lot about emotional sobriety on this podcast. It was the topic of the second episode I ever recorded. And for me, emotional sobriety is the ability to meet both calamity and opportunity with serenity. And I want to invite you to pause for a moment and consider how you've been showing up for moments of calamity and opportunity in your own life. Which one did you feel more comfortable with? Which one made you feel more in control? Which one did you feel more prepared for? When I find myself in these situations, I do my very best to integrate five steps to recalibrate myself 
not necessarily to force myself to shout from the rooftops about how happy I am, but again, just to invite myself back into a space of neutrality. The first step is to acknowledge that when we feel as if we are having opposite or clashing or disproportionate emotions with our current experience, that our anxiety is probably getting triggered. Our feelings do not necessarily have to be facts. We can just observe them, extract information from them, but we don't necessarily have to instantly react or respond to them. The second step is to allow ourselves to actually feel our anxiety. And that almost seems counterintuitive, right? Because we almost think that the smartest thing to do would be to immediately distance ourselves and run away from our anxiety. Instead, I'm encouraging you to sit with it in these moments. What does your anxiety sound like? Who does your anxiety sound like? Do you recognize the voice? What story is your anxiety telling you? Where do you feel your anxiety in your body? And what is your anxiety reminding you of? Are you being flooded with past memories and conversations and interactions? Can you think of other situations where you felt the same way that you do in this moment? And is there any information that you can pull from those past experiences? The third step is to slow down for a moment. Literally, pause. Take deep breaths. Identify things around you that you can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. Even count backwards from a hundred if that works for you. Do whatever you need to do to bring yourself back into the moment, to bring yourself to where your feet are. You're not in the future. You're not in the past. You are in this moment. Feel the floor holding you up. Feel your clothes meet your skin. Listen to your heartbeat. And I know that when we're anxious, sometimes these things sound like the last thing we want to do. But I'm inviting you to experiment. The fourth step, and this is the one that is really, really tough for me, so maybe it might be tough for you, is to expect and take in the good. Coming from a place of neutrality means that you are not blocking things. You are not coming up with evidence. You are not trying to prove your point that this thing is bad or wrong. You are not disrupting things. You aren't kicking miracles off your front porch. You're not self-sabotaging. You are simply allowing with surrender, letting in. The fifth step is probably the one that I find most helpful, and that is to actually talk to someone about what you've been feeling and experiencing. Tell someone about your experience with distorted perception 
about this person, place, or thing of goodness that has come your way. Tell someone the story that you have silently been telling yourself, because I bet it sounds so much different when you say it out loud to someone who actually knows you, someone you can trust, someone who has your best interests at heart. And it's precisely the ridiculousness of this story that is the key that unlocks our chains from it. And the more we build that habit and memory of saying, wow, every single time I share my story of why something good is really terrible and most definitely trying to destroy, if not kill me, I almost laugh at myself and I realize how I'm blowing this out of proportion. Making that a new muscle memory so that the next time you begin to have those thoughts, instead of relying on them, you'll come to remember how distorted they were and you can just set them aside. I pretty regularly listen to 12-step speaker meetings online, whether that's on podcasts or on YouTube. There are so many recordings from great speakers that are really accessible and inviting. And if you are new to any kind of recovery program or even curious about them, one of the most powerful ones that I've ever listened to is from Kelly P., who is an Al-Anon speaker. I remember listening to her share in this recording that I was specifically listening to in order to prove to myself that I had nothing in common with anyone who attended Al-Anon or adult child of alcoholics meetings because I didn't really want to be there. I didn't want to do that work. And I used the facts and the details of her share to separate myself. And to this day, I can even see myself sitting on a bench at sunset in the Hollywood Hills dog park with my headphones in. She was talking about being married and having kids, and I thought to myself, how could I possibly relate to this woman? Our lives are so different. Well, I listened to the whole recording. I had told myself I would keep an open mind, almost like when you are in a recovery meeting and they find out that you're new and they tell you, don't leave before the miracle happens. So I said I'd listen to the whole thing. Well, I listened, and the miracle happened because she shared this. And if you're like me and you were raised in this kind of home, what I know is that when good things happen to me, I just hunker down waiting for the bad thing. There's no way I'm thinking this is meant for me. And then I read something in our literature that said, what if God just wants us to be happy. I don't know. I never thought of it. I never thought that that could be what he would want. But what if he just wants us to be happy? And he just wants us to accept that as true. That life is hard, and he loves us, and he wants to bestow his gifts upon us. And what happens if you say yes? How do I learn to be his beloved? How do I learn to be his loved one? How do I learn to accept those gifts that he's giving so freely? How do I set aside that crisis mentality or waiting for the other shoe to fall and just go, oh yeah, he loves me and he does this all the time. 
It's been really hard, and I've had to practice a lot. And the great thing is he keeps giving me opportunities to practice. I love the way she shares, and her words have been such a gift for me. I hope that some of you resonated with them. I wanted to close out this episode by sharing something that I wrote in my journal this week that tied together some of my own feelings about grace, about being seen, chosen, and receiving something good. The good doesn't always feel as good as we imagine it will. And while I could sum up all of my thoughts from today in just that one sentence, I'll add that the reason good news is terrifying is because it means that you are about to receive something which calls in distorted thoughts about unworthiness and lack. Bad news has almost been easier for me to handle lately. I may have crossed a line somewhere and planted roots in a space of lack and emptiness and rebranded it as freedom. Good news or anything associated with ease almost feels like a threat or a scam or a crisis, a setup for inevitable catastrophe, or a reminder that I will never be good enough at anything, or that my ability to receive is equivalent to how much can be taken away from me without warning. Or maybe it's just good and just easy and overdue, and there is no test about how I can avoid loss or pain. Instead, it's simply an invitation for me to show up with full presence and in full capacity. Willie Nelson once said, 99% of the world's lovers aren't with their first choice. That's what makes the jukebox play. To be chosen first is not a feeling I encounter often in relationships, in employment, even in my life in general. Before anything comes my way, I first have to sit through someone else's speech as to why they would have rather picked anyone else for the role, the relationship, the apartment, or the opportunity if they'd had it their way. They've settled on me which has more of a numbing effect than the pain you would probably imagine that it does. Kind of like scar tissue. You know it's there, but you can't quite make a connection between your nerves and the person trying to connect with you, whether that's through tenderness or harm. The layers are warped. You see what's happening with your eyes, but there's this invisible wall that is both blocking and protecting you. It bothered me when I was younger. The inevitable disclaimer that I was always handed before I was accepted into schools, jobs, co-op buildings, or relationships. The obvious exit strategy laid out by the person granting me entry eventually transformed into a free pass for me to not really show up. Because I could say to myself, you didn't want me here in the first place, so nothing I do or say even matters. 
Simply put, I got used to it. I'm so used to it, in fact, that when I'm chosen first for anything, with no gauntlet of flaming hoops to jump through or being guilted into feeling as if someone else is doing me a huge favor, I'm suddenly in complete shock. I'm gently scared, and I'm sure that it's either a scam or they were just confused or that something is about to promptly be taken from me. The good in my life doesn't feel good, and I hate that. Mostly because when someone finally does shine a spotlight on us, all it does is remind us of all the times that we were second, third, or fourth choice. And that just does not feel good at all. On the other hand, living in that runner-up, backup option, ever-prepared understudy position has forced some of us to choose ourselves first. To always choose ourselves and to quite loudly do that almost in defiance. Which means, in a world that functions on our impulse to turn away from ourselves, that we've been tapping a vein and mainlining grace for decades. And like anyone struggling with any kind of addiction or coping mechanism, you know that it's hard to put the needle down. Because it's something that makes us feel bad right up until the moment that it makes us feel good. And it's a hard habit to kick, especially when you think it's saving your life and protecting you. I have to admit that to be chosen for anything, even for things that I've worked for, or things that seem perfectly designed for me, feels so much less safe than to be overlooked. I function effortlessly in invisibility. And if I'm being honest, maybe that was always my first choice, to exist with my feet in multiple worlds, chosen by none, and belonging nowhere. Sure, there may be less joy, but there's also a lot less pressure and disappointment. All I know is that, from here on out, I am sincerely committed to letting good things happen to me and to letting good news find me, no matter how much it hurts. And even if I can't feel it immediately through all of that invisible scar tissue. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram and TikTok for daily journal prompts at love letters and mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.